What's going on? Welcome to the People's Show, coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotic provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews, sore feet. What are you waiting for? Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Yeah, back in the main studio. Pick here with you. Elon, Ben running the show again today. Lots of praise yesterday for you guys. Cam, sending out the tweet. Shouts. Big salute. I guess we can do it today as well. It, it is still snowing, technically. It is still uh, a snow day as well, Elon was telling me, for schools. Good one. So, you guys back in... Kids gotta love it. Back in studio. Yeah. Especially coming off of days off, too. Like, I don't remember this happening as much when I was a kid. I don't know. Like, Those were the days, man. How many school day or uh, snow days do you recall? I yeah, I feel like there's a few. We had a guy who was making these decisions who was notoriously very strict. Really, and he was just like not like district guidelines. If it was on the fence, right, we're going to school. If it was a coin flip, it was a two sided uh, mm-hmm. heads. People are just softer nowadays. <laughs> you guys, that's what I get out of it. Are, yeah. are you above twenty five? I am twenty five. No, I'm not above. Yeah, that. people are. <laughs> We're not above softer it. these days. Kids these days don't get it. Oh, brother! I, I I guess you guys can. Football games at recess in the snow? Are you kidding yeah. me? Live for that. Yeah. But I was gonna say, I guess you guys can classify my age range because you guys are all about it. Going uphill both ways to get into the studio yesterday, man. No shoes, uphill both ways, backpacks and everything. Uh. No, uh, great job yesterday. Uh, so a lot to get into today. You can uh, chime in as well, 650-650 into the Dunbar Lumber. Text message inbox, Dunbar Lumber, three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, our friend from Dunbar Lumber, Mr. Fixit, will join us in the second half of the show. Two-time cup champion, former NHLer Ken Priestley in the back half of the show. In a handful of minutes, Arif Hassan will join us from wide left, previewing the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. And it's a game day versus the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, pre-game starting up at 6 o'clock, TV at 6.30. And uh, Batch and Randeep on the call. Myself and Sat got you the rest of the way home for the post-game show. So we're in this stage here. We're getting ready for this homestand. Canucks will play these five games. All-star break, mini break. And then it's it starts pushing towards the trade deadline. And so many of these conversations right now, it's, all right, like who should they go get? And some of it's rooted in reality and some of it's divorced from reality as well. Uh, you know, there, there's wishes for fans and dreams, and some of them are just aren't going to come to fruition. We, we get a lot of these trade ideas uh, coming to the inbox, 650-650. I see as well already, just in the last little bit, someone texted him on Nick Schmaltz. They're, they're psyched up, for sure, to watch Nick Schmaltz today. And, and look, that would be an interesting name. He's on, he's on a list for me. Maybe not in the dream tier, but, you know, there's someone you want to keep an eye on and certainly keep an eye on tonight as well. But one thing that you need to have happen is there's this logjam right now. I, I know the Gensel thing has been you know talked about to death. But the point I've made is like they're not far out of a playoff spot for a team that just traded for, you know for Riley Smith, Eric Carlson this summer. How many points do they have to be away from the playoff line for them to say, "All right, we're gonna cash in on Jake Gensel"? 
feels like it'd have to be like six, seven, eight points. Well, they're one point out right now with a couple of games in hand. So they're they're handedly in. So what you need from now to like mid-February is real panic to start to ensue for some teams and for some teams to go on some losing streaks. So who are you rooting to fail for these next couple of weeks? Who are you looking at and saying they need the reward of saying, look, this season didn't happen for us. We, got, we, we have to shift course. We have to change our plan for what we thought this season could be to open up the trade market. Because you look at it right now, like New Jersey is seventh in their division per, you know, total points. Sixth if you go by points percentage. But it's not going great for them right now. There are 47 points. Yeah, two points out, a couple of games at hand. But they just lost to Montreal at home. You look at their next couple of games here. I'll, I'll give you their schedule till mid-February. Columbus, Dallas, Vegas, Carolina, Tampa Bay, Colorado, Calgary, Carolina, Seattle, Nashville, L.A. That takes you to mid-February. That's past Valentine's Day. That's a difficult stretch. And we came, come into this season. I do think they're a fantastic team, and they can be an exciting team. But if it goes bad for the New Jersey Devils over these next 12 games, will it shift shift course for what they think they can accomplish? And suddenly, you start opening up the spectrum of players that might be available. Does someone like Tyler Toffoli become available? Restrict, or an unrestricted free agent this year? Obviously, there's familiarity for the team, especially with Elias Pettersson. Now, that, that wouldn't be the highest end of player that I would want, but... He'd be on the list. He might be at the you know fourth or fifth guy on that list, but he's on the list. But New Jersey's not going to do that unless they start losing. So I got to tell you here, six fifty, six fifty. Text in. Who are you rooting for to slip up in these next four to five weeks? Basically, post Valentine's Day. Jazzy, six fifty, six fifty. I don't want the Canucks to get ripped off in a rental. All rentals are rip offs unless they're a legit superstar. Which uh, Gentle, uh, Gentle centers, but not himself. Gentle, look, uh, he, he's on passenger, but he's quite uh, quite accustomed to running or uh, being passenger in that spot. He, he he performs at least in his role. Jeremy and Langley, Minnesota, their season might be done already. Uh, the reason I want to bring this up is because of the Wild. Today they announce Jared Spurgeon, captain. Fantastic right shot D-man. He's out for the year. Surgeries. Multiple surgeries. He's cooked for the year. Is is Minnesota cooked for the year as well? Like, they're already scrambling. They've had their issues, obviously, this year. Find themselves today eight points out of a playoff spot. Now not with their number one right-handed D-man. It just gets harder and harder. So Minnesota's the reason I wanted to bring this up today. But a, another handful of teams, it gets very dicey for. 650-650. Uh, Tyler, Lightning, Leafs, Penguins, and Flames. So the Lightning one would be interesting. Who are you trying to pry out of there, though? Because it's, it, it's a decent team, but they've committed to a lot of their guys. Right? Like, you're not getting... The, the star level guys. I'm not even sure you're getting like an Anthony Sorelli. He's there till forever and a day. Nick Paul's there forever and a day. Brandon Hagel's there for a while. Chernak's been signed. Bringing back Tyler Mott. 
That's not. No, we 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 gotta. Like, we gotta aim for the stars. Yeah, I gotta aim for. Like I felt. You can't get the people going like that. Like I, I felt greasy about like. Are we are we reuniting Tyler to Foley? But th- there's there's reasons it makes sense. He's you're, you're throwing him in the top six. Tyler Mott, I don't know. I'm not sure that's doing it for me. Uh, so you know, the the Tampas of the world, you always want them to to stick. So some other teams slide out. The Leafs want. Man, they're a mess right now. But who do you want out of the Leafs? Mitchell Marner. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Hey, they signed Nylander. He's the guy. Yeah, he, yeah. He would I mean, be that's the, the guy. You keep hearing. You keep hearing. I guess Tyler Bertuzzi. I really like Tyler Bertuzzi. But what's that story there? Um, are they trying to solve something long term there? Not really. Max Domi's not really for me. Um, yeah, look, they need a natural scorer, too. That's the thing. Uh, a lot of reaction in the inbox here. 650, 650. Uh, this one, uh, a lot of love for uh, Gensel, and yes, the Ericsson X texts have started to roll in here. Six fifty, six fifty for all the people uh, rooting for, uh, rooting against Minnesota. All of a sudden, uh, all of a sudden, Calgary would obviously bid one. Uh, suddenly, the Calgary, like they win four straight, they find themselves in the spot here. People wanting Lindholm, they're uh, two points out behind Nashville. Calgary making a mini surge here. How much does that change their picture in these next uh, six weeks? Uh, keep coming in with your texts into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. We'll revisit this uh, in the back half of the show as well. But a lot, of, a lot of reaction coming in. Chris and Duncan need Edmonton to slip up. I mean a lot. They are scary. Do not want to meet up with them. I'm not too worried about that. If, if you want to be the biggest kid in the block, you got to go up against the biggest kid in the block. And if that means uh, the Oilers, you know, had their successes – that means you got to go through them. That means you got to go through Vegas. At some point, you're gonna have to do it. You got to beat the best to be the best. Yeah, I, 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 it's cliche, but it it totally rings true. Hey, cliches are are true though. Mm-hmm. The the reasons cliches exist is because there's truth in them. But yeah, I look. I understand they're having this fantastic run. They've been so good since Knobloch took over. If you meet him, you meet him. It's it's something beyond your control. All you can control is: Are you getting two points tonight against the Coyotes? Are you going to get two points against the Leafs on Saturday? And on and on and on. Mm-hmm. They wind up playing the Oilers. So what? I also think the Canucks have had a season so far where they shouldn't be scared of anybody. They shouldn't be worried Just, of playing or seeing a team, whether it's the first round or wherever. Yeah, they should be confident. I I get it. You want to create the path of least resistance, but I, I've used this term before. Opponents are just opportunities to be great. The greater the opponent, greater the opportunity to be great. Got a chance to go against the Oilers, and we get to see Pedersen and McDavid go against each other? Let's do that. Uh, But that's the playoff conversation. That's the NHL playoffs. That's so far down the road here. Uh, Let's get to the NFL playoffs, and let's talk to Arif Hassan. You can follow on socials at Arif Hassan NFL, uh, who joins us now from wide left. Arif, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Uh, excellent. Uh, getting ready for a fantastic weekend of football, and it, it's actually kind of funny looking at these two uh, days of games here because I look at Saturday and I, I look at these two big juggernaut favorites. They're both like nine point favorites: Baltimore versus Texans and Forty ers versus the Packers. And I, I find myself hard pressed to think of the upsets. And then I look on Sunday and I think, man, it could really go either way. So it feels like we're getting to favorites and kind of a. Uh, underdog day on Sunday but going through this the Texans and the Ravens what is the like the Ravens biggest weakness that the Texans can actually exploit 
Oh, that's actually a really, really good question. Um, you know, obviously we know that the Ravens have one of the top defenses in the league. Mm-hmm. They rank first in points against. But what's really interesting about the Ravens is the way they set up that defense. And unfortunately, the number of injuries that they've had on defense, which will kind of um, exacerbate some of those problems, right? So Marlon Humphrey, for example, uh, did not practice in the most recent practice. He's He's been on and off with injury all year. They've had cornerback injuries, and they put a lot of stress on those cornerbacks to win in man coverage. And if you've got, you know, somebody like Bobby Sloak, the offensive coordinator, if you've got, you know, the ability to, to scheme up some uh, man beaters, right, running rub routes, running mesh routes across the middle, um, you can exploit some of that man coverage. The problem is a lot of these man beaters sometimes take a lot of time to get ready, and the Ravens know that they can blitz. So I think that having a couple of options available for you against the blitz could create some weaknesses for the Ravens to allow the Texans to to grab some big plays. But like you imply, I mean, the Ravens are a really good all-around mm-hmm. team, great passing and running the ball on offense, uh, great defense overall, really tough to really find a, a, a spot in the, or weakness in their armor. Especially that, you know, the, the, the Texans can take advantage of. Like, I, like maybe if, if the game strip goes against them, you can get after the offensive line in passing situations, but it, it feels like it's so difficult for the game strip to go against Baltimore in this spot that it, it, it's building towards, obviously, them just going to the AFC Championship here. Yeah, 100%. And I'm glad that you brought up the game script, which is, you know, essentially, you know, kind of where the, where they are in the game and who has mm-hmm. the lead and by how much because it controls, you know, the tempo of that game and what options are available to teams. But the problem is the Ravens might have more control of that than any other team in the league, which is not to say that they're the best team in the league. But um, because they run the ball so effectively and because they pass the ball really effectively and because they're comfortable operating at any tempo, they can ramp up or decrease the number of drives in a game just by their play selection, by making games take longer or making games, you know, appear to to be much faster. And so because they can change the way that they react to how the game is evolving and because they can control the tempo better than almost any other team, it's really difficult to get ahead of them because if the Ravens begin falling behind by a little bit, they might just slow the game down until they catch up so that nobody has to, so that they aren't forced into that kind of passing situation. We've seen this year mm. that there are not many situations where they're forced to, to throw the ball and really test the pass protection of that offensive line. So it becomes a really difficult effort. Uh, going to the Packers 49ers game, as, as we're talking about scripts here, uh, what does Green Bay actually need to do to flip the script? Because we've seen this before, right? They, they go up against them last year, and it doesn't go well. Or two years ago, doesn't go well. And they got boat race in the past, too. Why, why can't it be different for Green Bay this time against 49ers? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a boogeyman for them at this point. And it's tough because the way the 49ers have beaten them has been different every time. It's not like they've had Colin Kaepernick running for 200 yards every single time. And so, you know, some of it is just, you know, hey, you're playing on the road. It's a West Coast team. It's going to be kind of tough. But some of it is just that the 49ers, for whatever reason, have had, you know, the coaching tools to really take advantage of what they have and what their advantages are. Here, I think the problem is you have two I'm going to give the Packers the benefit of the doubt and say they're a team who on offense are more like the last six games than they are over the course of the year. So you've got two good and effective offenses, but only 
only one consistently good defense, and and that's the 49ers defense, obviously. You know, Wilkes has done a great job picking up for the departure of D'Amico Ryans. Um, And the problem is that there's just going to be some drives where they're going to create some pressure uh, and push things for for the Packers in ways that the Packers won't be able to respond in kind. And so for the Packers to be able to kind of catch up and overcome, you know, this monkey on their back, they're going to have to win with explosives. I mean, Jordan Love has shown a lot of progress in – making gains as a consistent player, you know, winning down to down, which is a big struggle that he had early in the season. Um, But if they want to really, you know, take it to the 49ers, they're going to have to go to what Jordan Love does best, which is these big explosive plays. And what's great about that Packers secondary skill group is that they have a bunch of different types of receivers that can create those explosive plays, whether it's Tucker Craft at tight end, uh, Romeo Dobbs, who has been a little bit up and down this year, um, or Jaden Reed, who has just a tremendous speed, or Dontavian Wicks, who's, who's got you know the body of a, of a traditional wide receiver one. So they've got a lot of opportunities to create big plays. They're going to have to take advantage of those. So that's on the offensive side of the ball, and I think there's a lot more confidence there. But, you know, we, we've seen the 49ers just kind of maul through the Packers' defense. And, like, that 37, I think it was 37-20 memory is, is still burned in, in for me of just how easy they made it look um, against the, the Packers. W- could that materialize again this weekend? Certainly. Certainly a huge possibility. Um, I think that – for the Packers, one thing they're going to have to do is that they're going to have to make sure that they're a much better tackling team this time around. I mean, there's a lot to be said about scheme. There's a lot to be said about finding ways to dial up pressure or whatever, and all of that's going to be important. Winning the schematic battle against Kyle Shanahan is always an uphill you know, process, but at the end of the day, the 49ers are a tremendous yards after catch team, and a lot of that is their ability to force people to miss. And, you know, Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel are really gifted at that. Christian McCaffrey is very good at that. Even George Kittle and Kyle Juszczyk do a really good job of generating yards after the catch. Some of that scheme, but some of that is the personnel that they've gone out of their way to target over the past couple of years, and they've been successful at that. And so the Packers are going to have to make sure that their defensive backs have really great tackling for them, that they bring um, you know, their full tackling power to every one of these hits, because if you give them a little bit of, of, of space, if you give them an inch, they'll, they'll take that mile. Uh, so that's going to be a big part of it. But also, they're going to have to be really creative about their blitz packages because Kyle Shanahan has seen what the what the Joe Barry Packers on defense do when they do blitz. They're going to have to vary that up and make the situation seem cloudy for Brock Purdy, who is a very quick and decisive thrower. And when he sees a blitz, he very often throws into it to find the open receiver. So they're going to have to be creative. They're going to have to replace their blitzers with creative coverages. They're going to have to be really complex in the way that they approach their game plan. Otherwise, they're going to get carved up. Uh, while we're talking about blitzing, we can talk perfectly about uh, Todd Bowles and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, going into Detroit. Uh, how will you know Goff and the offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson, deal with the, I, I would say erratic nature, but they're fairly consistent in who they are uh, with the Buccaneers' defense in, in creating uh, these blitz opportunities? Yeah, I think a lot of it's going to fall on Ben Johnson to design uh, a system for Goff to execute, which is not to take too much away from Goff, but that's who he is as a passer. He does a very good job of of working with the tools that are handed to him instead of creating. Uh, And I think here they're going to have to identify the most common tendencies in those blitzes and craft a quick game around that opportunity. Now, like the 49ers, they do have some pretty good yards after catch receivers. Amon Ross St. Brown kind of made – uh, you know, made the Lions offense last year with a lot of his after-catch stuff. He does it again, of course, this year, but it was really prominent last year. 
And we're seeing Jamison Williams kind of grow into his own as an after-catch receiver as well. Uh, and, of course, Sam Laporta has done a, a pretty good job at tight end uh, in that capacity too. But the, the locus of that game right now is Jameer Gibbs, and I think that he's going to be a big part of their – capacity to beat Todd Bowles and the Blitz, either as a pass-protecting back, which he's gotten a little bit better at over the course of the year, or more likely, I think, as an outlet option um, when when those blitzes occur. Because one thing about the Buccaneers is that they're pretty traditional about the ways they approach blitzes. There is a lot of man coverage behind the blitzes, and given who they have in their secondary, why not? Those are very good players. But it does create mismatch opportunities for a running back like Jameer Gibbs. So I think a lot of it's going to be quick game. A lot of it's going to be like Laporta sees a linebacker blitzing and cuts his route short to catch the ball from Jared Goff, that kind of stuff. Um, but it's going to have to be, you know, anticipated beforehand. So there's going to be a chess match that occurs throughout the week that we're going to see the results of during the weekend, but which has already been played out. Like whatever game we're going to watch has already been won. And I think that that, you know, the, the blitzing nature of that defense is going to define that matchup. Uh, and finally, it's the big one, uh, Kansas City at Buffalo. And you know, it, it's interesting to look at these the, when the Chiefs have the ball because the, their offensive struggles have been well documented. But you know, the Bills have had all these injuries defensively, and it just feels like this struggling unit versus this mass unit and which one comes out ahead kind of defines this game. Yeah, 100%. I think the thing is for the Bills, the thing they have to be careful about is how – the Chiefs have a little bit over time, I'm not going to say resolved those struggles, but have gotten more comfortable with what they have and how to make what they have work. They were a little bit overly reliant on Kadarius Toney to begin the season, I think, to the frustration of a lot of Chiefs fans. But they've kind of figured out you know, ways to use Rasheed Rice, who um, maybe had the most unheralded 900-yard rookie season we've ever seen. Um, you know, He's a very good player. He can play a traditional X role, maybe not the role that Tyreek Hill played, but you know, play a traditional receiving role, and then pairing him with Travis Kelsey has produced some pretty good results. Now, Kelsey's got to play a little bit better in this game than he did last week, but I think, you know, there's going to be some opportunities there in a big part because of the injuries across that Bills defense who seem to always enter the postseason with a really banged-up secondary. And so having, having those opportunities available, that's going to be really big. But some of it's just going to have to be, you know, Mahomes creating, you know, just doing what he does best and finding extra space, whether it's Markel Zelda scantling out there or Kadarius Tony or Rasheed Rice or whoever they picked up that week at receiver. I think that a lot of it's just going to have to be Mahomes finding, uh, you know, magic. Uh, the playoffs aren't the only thing dominating the news uh, cycle right now in the NFL. We're talking to Arif Hassan here as well uh, from Wide Left uh, covering the NFL. Um, the, the the job openings uh, across the league right now, and uh, you know, a couple more open up last week with uh, Carroll and Belichick. When, when you're looking at the landscape right now, what's the best job opening? Oh, that's a really good question too. Um, that's that's pretty tough because it really depends on what you value. So. I would argue, for example, that the Chargers job opening is pretty good. Um, I think people tend to overrate the amount of talent that's on that team, but they've got a franchise quarterback. And so when you start there, you're in a really good spot, and it's really difficult to, um, you know, to – to overcome that with, with uh, you know, any anything else that's happening there. They've got a pretty decent offensive line. Um, the receiver situation needs to be resolved. They've got people hitting kind of free agency. Keenan Allen's a little bit older. Um, and so you have, to, you have to work with that. But I, I like the Chargers job opening because you don't have to work your way into, you know, finding a franchise guy, which is, I think, what separates it from, say, for example, the Titans opening, where you don't really know kind of what that quarterback situation is and what assets you can use, you know, to grab a quarterback. So I think that that's... Um, probably the best job opening. 
Um, but I think that if you're, you're looking for draft picks or something like that, obviously the Carolina Panthers um, is a, is a pretty bad spot. And, right. um, and, but they, but they have a guy that you might like, um, but yeah, I think the Falcons is probably, was that not to mention ownership as well you know, with, with, with all the drama there with yeah. Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. You want, you want to make sure that you've got um, maybe a little bit of insulation from, from ownership meddling this time. Maybe hopefully he's learned his lesson, but that's, that's a, t- that's a tough thing to gamble on, even if you've got like a nine hour interview. Right. So um, I think that aside from that, maybe the Falcons job is a pretty good spot because I like the pieces they have. They have some pretty good draft picks. Um, but I, I think that for the most part, I, I like the Chargers uh, job. You mentioned a name earlier, the the Texans offensive coordinator, Bobby Slowick. Now we've seen this you know, rash of hires uh, over the past couple of years of like offensive minds. And maybe it takes a couple of years to be a natural play caller. But I just wonder if, if someone kind of just jumps the queue and just says, look, this guy might be fantastic. You see what C.J. Stroud did with limited resources in that offense, and they've made it work. And, you know, the timing of when to hire someone, because it feels like at some point he'll get there. But do teams try to jump the queue? And, and is that a prudent approach to say the, the, these offensive you know, whiz kids, you, you kind of have to have to grab them early when they might be available? Yeah, I, I think that some of it, they're treating it kind of like some GMs treat these quarterback draft picks, where it's just like, hey, if you've got an early one, you got to spend one on a quarterback. I know you don't love the guy, right. but, you know, try to get but, – but that's not really, I think, a smart approach with, you know, head coach and GM, because I don't know that the extra week or two that you might have to wait for somebody to no longer be in the playoffs – is worth the several year investment that you have to, because it's not like, you know, a draft pick where you don't know who you're going to pick next year. You know who you have available to you in the next couple of weeks. And I think it's probably worth waiting, even if you're getting late in on the combine process and the senior bowl process or whatever. So um, I, I, I think that, you know, you don't need to gamble and sometimes they'll gamble on young guys where we don't have a huge track record or on guys because they're available a little bit earlier because of the playoffs um, and and I, I don't really love it. That said, you know, we've seen a lot of success from a lot of these younger guys, and so it seems like that's a trend. I think these are – I'm not going to say anomalies. I just think that young coaches have as much of an opportunity to do as well as older coaches, but younger coaches are the ones getting more opportunities, and I think that that's kind of a bias in the market. I would like to see, for example, Luana Rumo get – at least some more interviews. I'd like to see more people excited about people like Raheem Morris, who did a really great job with the Rams, or Mike McDonald with the Ravens. Um, but, yeah, I, I do think that they they are just kind of gambling on these young guys when you don't really have a sense of what their philosophy is in the same way that GMs kind of just gamble on quarterbacks. Uh, he is Arif Hassan. Uh, where can they find you, Arif? Yeah, you can find me you know, on Twitter at Arifasan NFL, A-R-I-F-H-A-S-A-N NFL, or on my Substack, wideleftpost.substack.com. Uh, brilliant, man. We always appreciate, talk, uh, appreciate talking to you and enjoy the games this weekend. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's Arif Hassan joining us here on The People's Show. All right, a lot more on the way. Uh, we'll get to more of your text, a lot of reaction in the inbox, 650-650, I was asking you, because uh, you, you need teams to fall out of the uh, playoff chase to, to – Undo the logjam that is the trade market. Uh, who are you rooting to to fail for these next uh, three, four weeks here? Uh, we'll get into it on the other side. Uh, more on the way with Ken Priestley as well. Joining us, our Mr. Fix-It from Dunbar Lumber, two-time cup champion, next here on The People Show.